0: Welcome back to the Music History Project. Today we're celebrating JAM, Jazz Appreciation Month. We're showcasing interviews with Tito Puente and Walfredo Reyes Sr., both percussionists in the world of Latin jazz.
1: Welcome to the Music History Project. We are your hosts. I'm Dan Del Fiorentino.
0: I'm Suzanne Del Fiorentino.
2: And I'm Alex Rossner.
1: All of the content of our podcast is based on the Oral History Collection, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. This collection is over 5000 interviews and growing. To learn more, check it out on
2: nam.org/library. Hello, we're back. Today's episode about Tito Puente and Walfredo Reyes uh, is about Latin jazz. And uh, Dan, we're starting with Tito Puente.
1: Isn't this great? Oh, I'm so excited. Jam is a very fun month for all of us jazz fans out there. You know, it originally started as Jazz Awareness Month in New Orleans, I think about 1980. And then the Smithsonian sort of made it a national thing in 2001. So here we are jamming together and giving some love to some of the pioneers of jazz. And in particular today, we're focusing on Latin jazz, which is really exciting.
2: Could you give us a quick lesson about Latin jazz? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that's a very big question, Alex. I'll try to answer it by saying it's an influence from those uh, musicians that came to America from Cuba and Puerto Rico and brought with them their traditional musical styles, which, of course, uh, rumba music and the mambo and things like that. And great flair with great flair. I think that's what I think of when I think of Latin jazz is you are not sitting on your hands playing or listening to uh, people like uh, Xavier Cugat and um, uh, Pupi Campo and people like that. And of course, uh, the next generation was uh, Tito Puente, the legend, the jazz, absolute jazz uh, icon. Um, you know, we over the years have interviewed three people who have been depicted on a U.S. postage stamp, and one of them is Tito Puente. That tells you how big a star he he is and his influence. Um, and there's nothing like his energy, uh, absolutely. Always standing up with his uh, tambales and um, giving those a fantastic flair to the rhythms and the rhythmic uh, changes within his songs. Uh, absolute
2: legend. And this is a very early interview. Tell us about that. How did you get to talk to Tito Puente?
1: Good question, Alex. Uh, Well, this one actually goes back to, um, what is it, Uh, the late 90s, I believe, uh, when I had a radio show in the San Francisco Bay Area, Menlo Park. Yay, Menlo Park. Um, I did not like Talking on the radio. I know a lot of people are surprised to hear that now, uh, but I didn't like it. Um, so I was looking for a way to um, introduce the songs that I was playing. And I came up with the idea, I talked to the engineer, and said that if I were to call some of these folks on the phone, could We record that and use it. And they said, yeah, let's figure out a way to do it. So that's when I started my uh, interviewing is for this radio program. We were playing big band jazz music uh, at this station. And I got a hold of a a Musician's Union book uh, in New York. Uh, That was the first one I got, and it was awesome. You opened up the pages, and all these people whose records I had been playing or would read in the liner notes, uh, Jonah Jones and Cab Calloway and Lionel Hampton and Lena Horne and Tito Puente, and uh, they were all there, so I just called them up. Some of them, the numbers were the manager I think that was the case for Tito because he was still gigging. He wasn't retired and sitting by his phone. He was on the road. So I think I did talk to his manager and and arranged it that way. And as you were about to hear, he was very uh, compliant. He was very happy to talk about it and answered uh, probably even the dumbest of my questions. Um, Sometimes it's hard for me to look back at some of these because I wish that I had asked better questions. Um, But. We get what we get, right? And I'm very proud that we have this in our collection.
2: And you always asked about the station ID.
1: Yes, that's right. For for KCEA, uh 89.1 FM. I remember that. Um Yeah, it was really neat to have these played throughout the day, not just during my program, but to have somebody like Tito Puento say, you're listening to KCEA Radio. And so we had Ari Shaw and people like that say these station IDs. And his was particularly fun. Are we going to play
2: that? I'm ready to listen to it. Let's do it. Boom
3: boom hey, this is Tito puente speaking, and every time I'm in town around the bay area, all I listen to is k c e a eighty nine point one f m <laughs> that's the best
1: one i've ever heard <laughs> that's different
3: that's different man. you're
1: the greatest <laughs> yeah thank you sure <laughs> That was great. That's <laughs> well, I thank you very much for that. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I've got to ask, you have um, such an incredible following. It is it is as if um, Tito Puente has created an entire musical form. Yeah. How time. how does that feel?
3: It must be incredible. Well, I don't know. I didn't feel it yet. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying. I'm still in there. Still in there. I'm celebrating this year, July the first, 1997. I will be celebrating my 50th year in as a band leader, wow. an orchestra leader.
1: Congratulations!
3: And, yeah, I'm having a lot of tributes all around the world done for this. In fact, I just came back from Puerto Rico. Uh, just got a stamp down there, a United States postal stamp, but it's a collective uh, item. And uh, for me to get the $0.32 cent stamp, they told me I have to be dead uh, 10 years. So I told them I am in no particular h- hurry for the stamp yet. <laughs> so anyway, it's a beautiful stamp and a lot of recognition. I just came from France for the meeting, M-I-D-E-M big meeting out there, and we performed there. It was very successful. And now I'm just uh, getting ready for, uh, to hit out in California.
1: Oh, that's terrific! Yeah, we'll look forward to that for sure. Thank you, thank you. What What amazes me about your career is that, um, unless I, I misunderstand the sequence of um, the development of Latin jazz, um, it. It really did not take on a um, a force until people like you came around and kind of introduced it to a, a larger audience. Yeah, thank you.
3: It's very nice of you to say that, but it's true. <laughs> you know, a lot of the salsa boys uh, don't think so, see? But just because like they claim I've left their salsa scene and got into Latin jazz, but that's not true. Uh, we have been playing Latin jazz for years, uh, commencing with Mr. Dizzy Gillespie and Chano Pozo in the 40s, when they did Monteca and Tintin Deo, Night in Tunisia, and all those tunes. Then throughout the years, Norm Morales, great orchestra leader in New York, was playing Latin jazz. Then the great Machito, my mentor, and Mario Bauza continued that for throughout many years. And uh, I more or less am trying to continue their tradition of Latin jazz. And in them days, it was called Mambo Instrumental, I don't know why they didn't use the word jazz, because now I hear that the the tunes I recorded, then and Machito recorded, and all these people, and they never call it jazz, see? Always instrumental, mumbo instrumental. But now, uh, I've gone into this Latin jazz uh, movement more than ever, within the last 10 or 12 years, I would say, uh, thanks to Concord Records, uh, Cal Jada took me there and all that. Uh, it's become more of a worldwide type of music because it's being accepted by all kinds of people. And uh, naturally, people relate to a lot of the jazz tunes. And then when you give them the real uh, percussive uh, cultural roots of our rhythms combined, that's what Dizzy Gillespie was trying to do. He, he was calling it a marriage between both musics, and it causes a lot of excitement, particularly the young people around the whole world, uh, all the way out in the east, uh, you know, Hong Kong, Japan all the way to New Zealand. I've been to Japan nine times already. And then all over Europe, of course, and uh, Latin America. So in the United States, uh, all over the, the the concerts and all that, universities. So I'm more or less happy that a lot of the young people are beginning to dig uh, this kind of music. In fact, I just uh, released my new album. It's uh, my 108th album, and it's called uh, Special Delivery. That's for that stamp that they gave me. And I featured on there the great uh, Maynard Ferguson on trumpet. And this album uh, has not been, been nominated for a Grammy Award, which uh, they have always done that throughout the years. I don't know who they nominate, but I don't know why they, they didn't nominate me. I would like to uh, see the board and ask them what was wrong with the album. It wasn't even nominated. I'm not looking for a Grammy Award, but a little recognition of the work that you put in an album like that. Like, I have one also, my 107 album is with the Count Basie Orchestra. Fantastic album, not even a nomination. Wow. Then I, I mean, you know, what are they waiting for? I got four Grammys already, and the Grammys never gave me a livelihood anyway. Can't go to a producer or promoter and tell them, hey, man, I got four Grammy Awards. Can you give me a job? They are going to give you nothing. But it's uh, a satellite this. So big, man, not to give you recognition Now finally they put you in a, a Latin jazz category. When I've been in that category so many years, I should always be in a nomination there.
1: Absolutely. You developed yeah. that category as far as I'm concerned.
3: Nowadays, there 's a combination of young Latinos that dig jazz also, Mm -hmm. plus the young people from universities and from conservatories of music. I just came from Columbus, Ohio with the Columbus, Ohio Jazz Orchestra, which is the greatest band that there is. And I'm going to Chicago with the Northern Illinois Orchestra. I I I did the Miami one. I go with all these big jazz orchestras. I've been doing symphony things now at the Richmond Symphony. I did the Boca Raton Symphony. I'm going to go to San Antonio. Even symphony orchestras are are bringing me in there to give me a dash of latin music combined with latin jazz so our music is really coming up and getting recognition absolutely and I'm proud of that good for you and I'm working hard at it and you know I'm, I'm I'm pretty uh i uh, heavy my age already, and you know, I shouldn't be working that hard, but uh, I'm in my semi-retirement maybe next year or the year after. Slow down a little. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to pick my jobs, you know? There you go. Because these agents are pick- uh, putting the jobs, I mean, they're sitting on the hand, and they're getting 20% commission. <laughs> well, I go out on the road to work. <laughs> that's but, not fair. Well, no, that's not <laughs> fair. Not anymore. <laughs> anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I'm telling them, I got to pick the jobs, the ones that really enhance my career. What's left of it, anyway? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so I, I have to ask you when you when you started out, um, a lot of the music that you were involved with, some of the bands that you were playing with, were were um, kind of the the, the Xavier Cugat type, and you know, in terms of recognition now, um, it, it, bongos and and uh, conga music and, and things like that. Right. Um, how did you? Um, how did you feel when you were uh, first starting out? Did you did you have dreams of being a band leader?
3: Did, or did were you just happy playing in the bands? Well, well, mine's a long, long career. And actually, I started with my musician as a musician, studying and all that. Now, when you mentioned the Xavier Cougat name, I never played that kind of music to start off with. You see, he, he had that commercial type of music, and he was into movies. and He was the king of the rumba music. He really made our music uh, known throughout the world also, see? But I started with the mambo and the cha-cha, the popular music that we used to play in ballrooms and all that. Mm-hmm. And more or less, even today, with all these new releases coming out, not new, but the old ones, but re enhanced the sound with these uh, CDs, they that, that, that sound so far ahead of their times. You know, I was really ahead of everybody there. Yeah. In fact, yesterday, just yesterday, I picked up an album that they finally put out. It's called Tito Unlimited. Now I heard it in the car and I flipped out. I was playing already all that they're playing, all this uh, uh, rap stuff and, and that afterbeat with the drum, rock and roll and all that. I was already doing that. Wow. A long time ago, this is well, was, was 1996, but that's when I just put it out now. Remastered it, whatever. And then RCA has put out so many good jazz things that I did many years ago that it's a pleasure to listen to them now because they're right up to date all the time, you know.
1: That sounds like an incredible
3: album. What is that again? That's from well, RCA, Unlimited? Well, no, this, this, is not, this is not an RCA. RCA put out a lot of good things, uh, heavy good things with good sounds and everything. And they always been putting all this stuff. This is this one was by uh, a Tico record, T-I-C-O. This is a company I started with many, many, many years ago. Wow. And then Fania bought them out, F-A-N-I-A Records. see? But now they put out these things. Watu Wasuri, that was an African feeling. I had Valley of the Dolls. You know, Vibe Mambo, Margie's Muguahiro, Lost Horizon. That's motion picture music. Yeah. I'm telling you, real sharp, you know. I listened to it last night. I said, damn, where have all these people been all these years? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I don't get no royalties on that. I don't pay nothing. Really? No, no, not really. I only get royalties on Oye Como Va, hmm. which Santana was a man that really, uh, you know, put 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 that number on the map. Carlos. Yeah. But outside of that, that number is known the whole world already. You know, it's like a like a national anthem.
1: It is indeed. I didn't really? realize that you got uh, commission on that one.
3: Oh, that one I do. <laughs>
1: Good for you. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, make a, I make I do a little story in uh, my presentations. I mentioned Santana, and uh, that the uh, the management of the theater. Some people you know, come up to me and say, "Tito, could you play me oh yeah, that Santana tune?" Oh. And I say, "I don't play Santana music, man. I play Puente music." they all laugh, you know. But what happened? That the manager called me in the office and told me, "Why don't you play that Santana tune?" After all, he gave you credit as a composer on the Abraxas album on Columbia Records. Blah 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 blah. You know. So I told uh, my booking agent, who used to be a piano player, a lousy piano player. That's why he's a booking agent now. So I told him, "Listen, people don't know composers. Go, you're a musician. or used to be. Who wrote Begin to Begin?" He keeps staring at me. See, you don't know who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. You don't know either. Who writes Whitney Houston's tunes, (laughs) right? You think Bobby Brown, right? Everybody thinks Bobby Brown. See, people don't know who composers are. Of course, that was on a Friday. That's why I tell the people. Monday morning, I got me a big check in the mail. (laughs) 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 And when I opened the check, I looked at it. Oh, boy. Now I know I'm a composer now. (laughs) You know? Everybody starts laughing. That's right, sure. That made me a composer, a royalty check. <laughs> Forget about it. So I love Santana. Naturally, I love Of him. course. Good, yeah. my boy.
1: So now, do you still actually receive those in the mail now?
3: Yes, yes. Uh, bigger and bigger.
1: What is that based on? Do you, is it sales and record play? Well, yes, record
3: play. Records played and been recorded by every African, Japanese, Chinese. Mm-hmm. Everybody records all your come especially all my Jewish boys. You know, they all played in the Bar Mitzvahs all all, all over the world. I mean, they played all over. (laughs) That's a tune that everybody knows. You know, it's like Cherry Pink, Apple Blossom, White, or something like that. You know, it's it's a real popular tune. Uh, It's getting more recognition. It's recorded by rap musicians now. Even my son, who's a rapper, uh, Tito Puente Jr., Mm -hmm. he records for EMI. Uh, He did a wonderful video version of it and, uh, and a recording. They're doing very well on the charts, too. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So so I tell my son, because I didn't know what he played, because they interviewed me. They said, what does your son play? I said, gee, let me ask him. (laughs) He said, Tito, I mean, you don't play trumpet, saxophone, drums, guitar. I mean, what do you do? He says, I rap bad. (laughs) So I told you, what? So He says, no, I'm a rapper. So he's a rapper. So I told you, you mean, Tito, that you recite the tunes? You don't even sing them? (laughs) <laughs> well, he just got a big check the other day for for being a rapper. So I told him, I told, Tito, I got to hit you for a loan now. That's right. I've been taking care of you all my life. When are you going to start taking care of Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel happy these day down. I really do. You know, everything is fine. Uh, the music is accepted by everybody and the recognition is coming around. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful feeling.
1: That's great, you know, that's really wonderful. Yeah, uh, really am. I think that there are some of those those guys from your past that, that play the kind of music that I don't think really did get the recognition they deserve. One no. particular person was, uh, I always wonder if I pronounce his name correctly, is um, Puppy Campo.
3: Oh, Puppy Campo. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he's still alive. I see him in Vegas all the time.
1: Oh really? Oh
3: yes, him and his wife, Diosa Costello, Years ago, Poopy for sure, I was one of, I was a contractor in the band, and a arranger and all that, at a young age, actually. He's still alive, he comes to see me every time I play in Vegas, he comes out, wonderful, wonderful personality, sure, he had a big name, too, sure, fantastic, he was like that Dizzy and Nass type of guy, you know, yeah. the Straw Hat and, and the Maracas and all that, very commercial, you know for the pop you know and all that kind of rhythm you know right but he wasn't a musician i mean he didn't play anything he was a good showman yeah yeah terrific showman terrific personality poopy compo that was his name sure very oh, good great. he's still around he's still around yeah well that's great and you know i got to look
1: at this um huge list last night of of your 107 albums and and the string of um, concerts and things that you've done all over the place. You play with just about everybody.
3: Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> well I play with everybody, but everybody play with me, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, you know. And, uh, um, you know, I have a scholarship fund, too. I've had it for 17 years now. I help a lot of young people. Oh, uh, yeah, see, when they're in college or in universities or in uh, conservatories of music, after they put in about two or three years, they need money to to get their, their degrees, you know, bachelor degrees or master's, that's when I come in and uh, I help them. Wow. And I've been doing very nice with that, and I'm very proud of it. I'm a role model to the young people because of that, see. That's great. Sure, I don't brag about that too much because people don't, you know. Tell me, did you ever receive any of those things that the office sends out with my my biography and then the whole thing? You know.
2: No,
1: I haven't. I haven't seen any of that.
3: Oh wow! Well, I'm going to call them today. Uh, Give me, well, they can mail it to you because there's a lot of interesting things there. So if you, you know, write an article or something, you know what you're talking about. Okay. And there might be some more information that you can derive from that. It's like a biographical thing. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see it. It's
3: got all the dates and everything What I've done in the past, what I'm doing, and what I'm going to do in the future which is uh, be the first Latin band to play on the moon in the year 2000, I tell them. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell them. Why not? I will go up there with my tamales and plant them up there. <laughs> not a flag, my tambales. So I make them all laugh. What, what a you? of say, Hey, I'm happy. What do you want me to do? You know? That's right. Yeah, man. See, my music is supposed to make people happy. When we play concerts and all that, it's to make people forget their problems when they're in that concert and give them a happy feeling, rhythm-wise and percussive-wise and, and melodic-wise everything. So when they leave the theater, they, they leave happy having been to that concert. And that's what I concentrate on, and that's what makes me happy doing. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking with you. All uh, right. Thank you, Dan. All right. Bye okay. right now. Bye-bye now.
2: You just listened to an interview with Tito Puente.
1: I greatly enjoyed the interview with Tito and just bragging that I got to interview, you know, the Latin jazz King. I mean, it was fantastic. A career that spanned 50 years. And of course, most of us know uh, Oyo Como his, um, great song that he wrote and originally recorded in 1962 and then of course in 71 was recorded by Carlos Santana and just went to the atmosphere absolutely just took off and and he as you heard lovingly uh, received a royalty check thanks to Carlos so uh, he was very proud of that but what it's not saying uh, in this interview is the enormity of recordings that Tito gave us over his career Uh, dozens and dozens of albums all of which I think are all available now Um, they remastered many of them especially uh, there was uh, on Tico Records which he mentions in the interview um, the the Mambo series volume 1 through 5 and number 6 is called The King of the Mambo those are fantastic recordings I mean everybody in those bands are just fantastic great great players Very, very tight, uh, all worth listening to. So please do yourself a favor and check that out. Uh, When he switched over to RCA Records, one of his first ones was in 1958, as you might recall. Uh, Dance Mania, that's a fantastic album as well. So a couple of things to check out. I also wanna take just a second to talk about his instrument, uh, the timbali. Uh, These are um, usually uh, brass shells, um, metal casings of drums that are kind of shallow. They're not like tom uh, tom toms, but um, they they kind of look like a snare drum. Um, but they're not a snare, obviously. Um, they're they're like a tom, but tuned usually much higher in pitch. And you can use your hands, but most of the time, uh, in Tito's uh, case for sure, usually with sticks. And this originated in Cuba uh, about 100 years ago and became very, very popular in the United States. And I got to give a shout out to our good friend, Marty Cohen, who started LP, Latin Percussion, a, a instrument company that specialized in Uh, brackets to hold these instruments uh, to make it possible for performers to play them without having to pick them up every time, uh, along with a lot of other hardware that made these instruments uh, accessible, because uh, the The stand for the tambale is very specialized. It's a very specialized piece of equipment. And this allows somebody like Tito, who is very energetic, both hands flailing all the time. And that tambale doesn't move anywhere. It is solid. It is uh, right where it needs to be. And that wasn't always the case. Um, But thanks to people like Marty, uh, equipment like that exists. So I just wanted to say a few little words about that.
2: We continue with an interview with Walfredo Reyes Sr. He's a percussionist who grew up in Cuba. Early on he played percussion in New York and uh, his career then brought him back to Cuba and other places such as Puerto Rico, uh, but he's talking about all this in the interview so why don't we just listen in? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I was born in uh, Havana, Cuba, uh, way back, 1933, Uh, as a young, uh, big family, music family. My dad was a a trumpet player. And um, my uncles, my aunt, you name it. And on top of my house, there was a piano conservatory. So I heard music since uh, uh, I got up. Uh, Later on in the neighborhoods in Havana, I I knew that I was gonna be a drummer because I started playing with the bongos and the congas and and they would leave the instruments in my house from uh, rehearsals and they would would rehearse it actually in the house in Havana. And uh, so I started fooling around with the uh, drum set and the conga drums and I loved it and I knew at five years old that I was gonna be a a drummer. And uh, in the early forties, I would say 1939, 1940. My dad moved from Havana to New York City because it was the uh, the time of the rumba, as they called it, uh, uh, Cuban music, and all that music wasn't that well uh, known yet. And so they started bringing in uh, like uh, Xavier Cugat, the the famous rumba, and and. and and there were a lot of jobs, a lot of nightclubs in New York with uh, orchestras, and uh, so my dad decided to move along with two other members of the orchestra, Miguelito Valdez, who was a famous singer, and Anselmo Sacasas, piano player and arranger for the orchestra. So they all moved to New York, and uh, Miguel uh, formed this orchestra right, right away, and Anselmo Sacasas also formed this orchestra, and my dad was the lead trumpet player. So uh, I think it's kind of different from today. They had a lot of nightclubs, good nightclubs, the store club, uh, the uh, uh, La Martinique, uh, La Conga. Uh, So all around Manhattan you you could find clubs where that music was being introduced. Later came the Mambo, the Cha-Cha-Cha, the Pachanga, and and the story goes on and on and on until today. So we moved to New York and uh, I remember 156th Street and Amsterdam between Broadway and Amsterdam. That was our best, uh, first apartment. And then, um, I think I started at the third grade in school, and we, we didn't go back. But I did go on my summer vacations from school to Havana. Uh, we always traveled there, and then we moved to what they call Hell's Kitchen. So my neighborhood and my schools where I grew up was uh, 49th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. And I went to PS 17 on, on 48th Street and PS 51 on 45th Street between 11th and 10th Avenue. PS 17 did, didn't have uh, a, a music program. We sang, you know, the Star Spangled Banner in the, in the mornings, America. We had like a music teacher who teaches the the hymns and the things like that. But I did have a private teacher. I was already, uh, my dad decided, he didn't, he didn't want me to be a drummer. He always said, be a piano, piano player, because you don't have to carry stuff. Uh, and you're the leader. You make double. Uh, okay. But I did take some piano and uh, I didn't like it. So back to the drums. But uh, he got me a teacher, a very good teacher. His name was William V. Kessler on 48th Street. And the drum lessons were $3. And uh, it was very good. So I started the rudiments, the pad, uh, the book, and so on, so on. I started uh, actually playing when I was 15. And uh, the first show I played was at the La, La Conga. I think they changed the name on... on, on 51st, and there was Basing Basin Street. And there was uh, two Roomba bands there. And I went in and I said, I was only 15. Uh, and Billy Daniels, who was a great singer, because he was the old black magic man, really? came in. And his piano player's name was Cecil Payne. But they came in, and did the show, and I had to play. And I was scared and nervous. And uh, because he had a lot of fast things, you know, and uh, that was it. That was my, my my kind of first intro to to music. And and when we, we when he finished, he said to me, "You did good, kid." No, oh, thank you. Coming from him, he was an amazing singer.
0: Over the years, Alfredo has played with some top-notch musicians, mm-hmm. he's played with um, Tito Puente, of course, Philly Joe Jones, Jose Ferrado. Louis Belson and Sammy Davis Jr.
1: Unbelievable career. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing that strikes me about Wilfredo. Just his exuberance about his music is so fun. I mean, it was really right up there with some of those great classic Latin jazz band leaders. Like we think of Xavier Cugat and Tito Puente and people like that who were showmen. And this music was all about getting people out to dance, right? So the mixture of these sounds came from the dances. So when we think of pachanga, for example, I mean, what well, that's a huge influence from the merengue and Adding these different tastes and different styles, I think, was really very exciting for these guys. Blaring horns, you know, watching the ladies twirling on the dance floor. Uh, The excitement of all of that, I think, was incredible. And the popularity of it moving from Cuba to the United States, particularly in New York uh, at first. And then, of course, expanding to other places, uh, other Hot bids, including Miami and later Las Vegas, was really contagious. And I think that that's really kind of the fun part about thinking about these bands and how they exploded in popularity was dancing. It was all about dancing. And when you think of lively music, that's exactly what it was all about, getting people to get up and move.
2: New York was a melting pot of music, especially Latin uh, jazz. And uh, as we heard about uh, Walfredo growing up there, he took that experience back to Cuba with him because his family moved to Cuba. And just at that time, beginning of the 50s, there were a lot of uh, shows that had moved from Las Vegas to Cuba, and he found good employment there, as did his family and, he played his music in Cuba
0: so let's return to the interview
4: in 1950, my dad uh, was working at another <clears throat> incredible place, uh, el Morocco nightclub, and uh, uh, he got asthma unbelievable he was very well, but there were you had to go in through a, one of those a lot of uh, moisture and all that go downstairs and then go into and and he Got asthma and said, "No, we're leaving." At that time, uh, Havana was booming with the casinos. Okay, and uh, he was offered a job at the Sensu uh nightclub, which is a big outdoor Sensu where We re- used to bring all the big stars from France, from the United States, Nat King Cole, uh, uh, Sarah Vaughan, uh, Mauricio Alier. You know, think uh, actors. And then they had a big Cuban show. In fact. Uh, Cuban singer Celia Cruz was only like 15 years old when she was part of that show. And I used to watch her all the time, you know, which I knew later on. So we moved completely from uh, New York and decided to go back to Cuba. So that was 1950. The revolution 10 years later, almost 10 years. The 50s I was around 1920, something like that. So uh, I started recording I, uh, a lot of with a lot of good musicians like Cachao, uh, Orestes on bass and Tata Wines on congas. I uh, I did a lot of what they call descargas with Jose Fajardo, flute uh, and so on. Many great musicians in Cuba at, at the time. Uh, big shows at the Casino Parisian because then later we had we had gambling. And there was an influence of, what, from Las Vegas, all over, casinos opening up in the hotels. So I was at the Hotel Nacional uh, and Casino Parisien. They opened up a Wilbur Clark Casino in Las Vegas, people. They opened up the Casino Parisien. And fortunately, I got taught to have my own orchestra, and my father had the show band. So we were Alfredo de los Reyes. One and what for those raised two with, with with the two bands so i would, I did that like until I left basically eight eight or nine years aside from that channel four I was in the orchestra there does the, the yeah yeah but they they called in those days a staff orchestra or uh, thirty musicians and we did all the t v shows and uh Cuba was very advanced in comparison, you know. It was USA and, and Cuba, Mexico, Argentina. A lot of uh, singers and, and uh, acts from Argentina, from Mexico especially. Great singers, you know. So television was very hot, very hot in the 50s. Like in US, NBC orchestra staff, which they don't have anymore. But the uh, WOR, WJC, they all had staff orchestras. And in Havana, the, the, the basically the same thing. CMQ had an incredible staff orchestra. The fifties, I was around nineteen, twenty, something like that. Uh, Fidel wasn't in the picture yet. We had another one. You know, for the original president that was there, that was voted in, was uh, Carlos Prío Socarras, and he was ousted in a coup from. Fulgencio Batista, so he took over, and that's when the movements, the things started to get kind of uh, uh, serious, until until Fidel and his brother and everybody landed in uh, Providence Oriente, and they made the the whole thing. So I took, uh, I think, about two or three years of the government, but I didn't like the way it was going, and I decided to come back to the United States, so i back again to New York. I was very lucky, I was uh, one of the last ones to get in, to leave Cuba on a commercial flight, which was on uh, National Airlines. So I left Cuba with my boy on one lap and my little girl on one lap, and arrived in, in Miami with 25 cents. That's it. Luckily for friends and people that that put me on a train, and I went back to New York, and uh, which was 1961. After I think about a year or two in New York, uh, we got a good contract with a friend of mine, uh, a keyboard player, alto, bass, and drums, and we got a great contract to go to the lSM One Intercontinental. In those days, it was Intercontinental, and I stayed in Puerto Rico. You know, in Cuba, there was a lot of uh, people that you saw on the street, and they, they wanted to make money. And you know, five cents here. In those days, five cents was ten cents. So there was a guy that had everything. He had a harmonica, he had a a, a tub, uh, uh, he had a... And, and they would play... Wow. Yeah, it impressed me. Since yeah. taking uh, drum lessons in New York, my my hands were thinking drums, set, set of drums, the kit. But my other side was thinking conga, bongo, uh, timbales and all that. So when I had, um, there was a guy by the name of Candido, you probably heard oh, of Candido? Yeah. yeah. Is it Candito? Called right. Candito Segarra, one of the best percussionist conga players in the world. And we were very close friends because he played in an orchestra at CMQ-TV that I used to go to because one of my uncle was a trombone player in the band. And I did that when I was on vacation. So I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, and grew up until he left for the United States. And Candido had like four congas, a cowbell on his left foot. He would play the guido. And then he saw something that I never saw before, was playing with one hand. Uh, the what we call the, the marcha, the tumbao, and then soloing with it, with this hand and keeping the clava here. Wow! And I went, Jesus, you know, it was amazing watching them. And they did the shows at the, the Tropicana, this pair of hands. Or, so you know, deep inside me, I said, I want to, I, I want to do that. So when I got my band at the at the Casino Parisian, uh I didn't have enough to put a conga player. I had to decide, decide between a conga and a singer. So I got the singer, because you always need a singer. Sure. Right? So I got the singer and, and, I, and I said, well, I'm going to set up. So I set up snare drum, timbales, 14-inch tom-tom, little bass drum, uh, 18-inch bass drum, and the hi-hat and the snare drum. So I would play, you know, everything together, keeping time here sometimes, but I needed a a bass, the I, I missed the conga drums. Right. So I started putting congas on the left side and playing with my left hand the tumbao. And actually it got better and better and better so I could play everything and play the congas here. Mm-hmm. See? And that's is something that that uh, and and the cymbals, uh, you know, uh, I I would envision me playing uh, Louis Belson, who was also on the drum set my inspiration, very good friend and a person that I love very much, Louis Belson. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to be Louis Belson. I I have pictures of me in 1950 with two bass drums, you know. So uh, my inspirations were guys in New York at Shaughnessy with two bass drums. Wow! if I could do this, I could do this, I could do that, why not? Why should I play only a conga drum and my my feet just lay there? So I started messing with clave, hi-hat, not too much clave like uh, Horacio Hernandez was the king of that, you know, but, uh, so I started that and that was uh, 1950, 1951 that I had that set. That, that was it, and I kept on going, I kept on adding congas and trying to do the sound of the conga drums that is played with two hands with one, which is the hard part, because you know, you could get a lot of stuff with two, but with, hand, with one, so, and, and there are guys now that are doing that. there are guys now that are, uh, the evolution of percussion and drumming in Cuba is amazing, and the players are ridiculous. And they do that, you know, clave, negro, you know, the pan, timbales. You never see now a, a guy with a set of timbales alone. Yeah, timbales, snare drum, ping, cowbell, uh, cymbals, uh, whatever, you know. So the whole set. It's all percussion and drums anyway. Whatever you hit is going to be something, you know. And you can do it uh, with with it, with Indian with tablas, uh, like sakis, uh, you know. There's so many talents, there's so many incredible people that I watch all the time, I go, wow. Uh, I, I recorded with Tito Puente. Uh, I was playing drums and timbales. Uh, I recorded with Tito Rodriguez, two two great Puerto Rican musicians, conductors of their own bands. I mean, Tito, for, to me, was an idol too. You know, he was one of the, the greatest, one of the greatest musicians, timbalero, and, and friend, uh, yeah, I recorded with him. Uh, Jose Fajardo, Charanga, Cachao, I did. During, during those two years that I I I got to New York, there was a, a craze for a thing called Pachanga, that came after the Cha Cha Cha. So I, I used to do the shows with Eduardo Davidson, who was the inventor of the Pachanga in Cuba. So I was fluent you know, on playing Pachanga, you know which was different than, they, they played it different in New York than in Cuba. There was always a, a conflict that, that, that was very funny because I used to go to Cuba and, and they, they played different than they played in New York. Although the history of New York uh, Latin scene is, is something else. It's another chapter, you know, because of, of, of all the ethnic backgrounds from people from Puerto Rico, uh, Santo Domingo, Colombia, you know, it's a it's a mixture. So so everybody puts in their their influence, and it's it's great, you know, it's just fabulous. And then I went to Las Vegas from Puerto Rico, Las Vegas, and there was ten years. There was a Cuban show, um, playing at the Thunderbird Hotel, and I forget the name of that show. It was a very famous show. Uh, but it was a Cuban show and in those days it was hot uh, something happening in from Cuba in Las Vegas so they they called me and I accepted and I moved to with my family at, at this point the, there were already four five five children, five uh, my wife and, and, and uh, to Las Vegas so I did that show for about two years 1970. Then I went on, I stayed, uh, I played with Abby Lane, uh, uh, Richard Little, uh, you know, like going to Las Vegas, Lake Tahoe, Reno, well, one that was uh, uh, incredible was Juliette Prowse, Debbie Reynolds. It's funny because I met Debbie in Havana when she did Singing in the Rain. And they went to Cuba to promote the movie and we were kids because we were the same age. We were kids, and and then I had the the, the honor, I would say, to play play drums for her in uh, Las Vegas, at the Desert Inn Hotel. So that that was uh, very interesting, and, and many more people played for uh, Milton Berle, Jimmy Durante, all the all the old guys, Dean Martin. I, uh, I did a lot of the the shows that that Jerry Lewis does, you know, for the. Uh, muscular dystrophy. Um, And I was a house drummer at the Sands Hotel, who the conductor was uh, um, Don Vinson. And Don Vinson was the conductor for Wayne Newton. So I did all of Wayne's show on percussion. And then when Wayne decided to travel, I went with him. So uh, I did a couple of USO tours, you know, in the 1999, I think it was, USO tours uh, and uh, in Vegas all the, all the time. There's a lot of players all over, all over. I don't care what country there is, there's phenomenal players. Brazil, Venezuela, you know, Cuba, Puerto Rico, it's amazing. The, 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 the musicianship in Puerto Rico, is outstanding. Every, everything. Trumpets, saxophones, uh, violins. Conservatory. When when I when I got there, the conservatory was was just started, and it was started with, by Pablo Casals. So it grew. So the, what's coming out of there now? It's unbelievable, guys. Well, there's a few more things I
1: would like to talk about uh, regarding Ralph Edo. Yes. Very interesting cat. Uh, We talked a little bit about, and he mentions also, uh, working in Las Vegas and these shows. And what needs to be said is of all the musicians that these entertainers could hire, they picked him and his band. He was working all the time. If you think of an entertainer that was in Las Vegas uh, during the 70s, for example, he was the guy in the band. If he wasn't in the band, he was leading the band. Uh, you know, people like Linda Ronstant and Milton Berle. You know, Milton Merle, uh would come to town and do his shtick. He had to have a band, right? Well, this is the band that they hired. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Tony Bennett, uh, Dionne Warwick. I mean, you name it. And Wilfredo was the guy. And I think that's important to say because of all the people those folks could hire, they're constantly asking for this one person and and because he gets along with people he's got this great band he's a great arranger he knows when to play and when not to play i mean all these little subtleties made him sort of the perfect band leader for that for that setting and um and what i love is now in his older age, he's getting all the uh, kudos that he certainly deserves. You know, when you work and work and work, you're not really getting awards. You're too busy working. Now he's getting awards. He's being thanked and appreciated, and I really am glad about that. He certainly deserves all that. One of the cool little uh, uh, accomplishments or or awards that he got, uh, honors, if you would, is the, uh, the Gone Bops Company, that makes uh, uh, Cajons made a signature model Cajon just for Alfredo. I think they called it the uh, the El Maestro series. And that's really cool. I mean, to have an instrument named after you uh, is a pretty neat thing. Are you guys familiar with the Cajon?
0: No, please tell us more.
1: Well, this instrument—it uh, looks like a box, and we see a lot of people sitting on them and using their hands to make uh, percussive sounds, um, kind of snare drummy sounding a lot of times. But you can hit it in different places, and it has a different tone and different elements of the box, and that's a cajon. And it came from Peru, I think, about a hundred years ago, maybe 150 years ago, and is particularly popular. Um, in worship services uh, now uh, as, as uh, church services are becoming more and more um, popular. Um, you don't have to have a big drum set on stage Uh, in the sanctuary, you can just bring a cajon or two and have your percussionists come and play on that. Uh, You see it a lot in street uh, fairs and, you know, places where hauling a big drum kit might be a little cumbersome. uh, The cajon is there. So it's kind of neat.
0: I think we should also thank uh, Walfredo because he also went on some USO tours with Wayne Newton. So we don't want to forget that.
1: Good point. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Walfredo, for all that you've done. And um, not to be confused with Ralfredo Reyes Jr., his son, also a very accomplished musician. Uh, So I want to put that out there because we'd love to interview you Jr. So um, if you're listening, email us, library at nam.org. We want to interview you. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Uh, We we love and appreciate Jam Jazz Appreciation Month. So in celebration of that, thank you very much for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Dan Del Fiorentino.
0: Suzanne Del Fiorentino.
1: And
2: Alex Rossner.
1: If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have ideas for future podcasts or recommendations for interviews for the Oral History Program, please send an email to library at nam.org. That's library at namm.org.